Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. Excited to have you here again for another episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. Again, I am your host, Tim Sawhook, and I am happy to share another amazing episode with you today, another amazing interview. Um, I think that really will touch people's hearts. But before we get into all of that, um, I really wanted to thank you guys for continuing to download the podcast. The podcast is growing. It's spreading. The message of hope is spreading. And that really is super important to me. I was getting a lot of feedback about Taylor's episode last week. If you have not heard it yet, go back and listen to it. But a lot of people were really touched by that. People were really inspired by that. People were really left with hope by that. It really... Um, I heard from a few people that really made them attack some of the demons they were dealing with. Not necessarily the same story as Taylor's, but different things. But it really made them tap into it and see that they had hope also because of what Taylor sat here and talked about and was very clear about our message and sharing the beautiful message of Frankie Joy as well. So again, thank you for doing all of that. Again, I am looking for more people to be on the podcast. I know there are many amazing stories out there. Don't be scared to share your story. You have a light to share with other people. Do not be afraid that your story may not live up to somebody else's story. Someone out there today needs to hear your story. If you think about it that way, give yourself a little bit, that little kick if you need it, that little push to get outside that comfort zone to help somebody else. So again, I am accepting new people to join the podcast. I would love to have you on to hear your story and to spread your message of hope. So thank you very much for doing that. But like I mentioned at the beginning, we have another really strong and powerful episode today, and I wanted to get right into it. My guest, she is a mom, she is a wife, she is a trainer, she is what I would call the real in-life Wonder Woman. Here is my interview with Katie Isaac. Well, I would like to welcome to the show Katie Isaac today. Katie, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I am doing good. I am so excited to have you on the program today. Um, your story is one that I know a lot of people will connect with and relate to, and it has you know its ups and downs. It has hope and encouragement to it. But before we get to all of that, I want you to start back from the beginning. Tell us where your story kind of starts. All right. So oh, my story. Um, so like we were talking about before, it kind of goes all the way back to childhood. So I know a lot of people kind of everything starts maybe when you're a little bit older. And mm-hmm. for me, I can, I, a lot of who I am now goes all the way back to early childhood. Um, I grew up as a dancer and started off as a hobby. And then as I got a little bit older, so those early teens, like 10, 11, 12, there was that desire uh, to be on a competitive team, and I got into dance competition. Um, I was good. I'm not going to pat myself on the back, but I was in the oldest group at our studio, and so you have that natural, that body image starts to come into play. You know, you, that comparison game starts, and it's, it, the more I think about it, it's so scary now because I have two young daughters, mm-hmm. and that comparison game when it comes into play just so naturally at such a young age. Um, 
it worries me. It scares me because I had looked at everyone. I was the the youngest and the oldest dance group, mm -hmm. if, that, if that makes sense. And so yes, I, had few, I looked up to all these girls. Um, I thought they were just, you know, beautiful and gorgeous and talented. And I would go home and I would look at myself like I'm not there. I'm not as flexible. I'm, I'm not as strong. My jumps aren't as high. I'm not as skinny. I don't look like them. Um, my best friend, who's still my best friend to this day, was the girl that, you know, would pick me up to go to the mall and we'd stop at Burger King and she'd eat a couple burgers and we'd mm -hmm. get to the mall and she got stopped at the pizza place. And I'm like, <laughs> like, that is not me because, and I was just thinking about um, body image and how I would never get to be what I thought was the ideal ballerina or dancer. And in that, you know, tender age of early teens, so 13, 14, 15, my mom had started to go into early menopause. She was a lot older when she had me. Mm -hmm. And I remember her just being so depressed um, to just laying on the couch and not moving. And I was like, this is, this is crazy. And she had gained a lot of weight. Um, we did a lot of drive through because I had danced six days a week. So there wasn't that time to have these big fancy home cooked meals and everything. And so that's where that body image also came into play. So I'm eating this fast food and she was like, it's okay. You're dancing. You're fine. And it was really her saying, like taking away that guilt of I'm so depressed and exhausted to cook for you. Mm -hmm. I want you to feel okay that I'm feeding you this way. And so that mental, that mental piece was always there. And you know, you, you believe your parents, right? You're like, yeah, you're right. I, I did just dance for four hours and I am just a teenager. So this is going to be okay. And I remember in high school, um, the yo-yo dieting started. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching my mom bring home, I'm sure there are people out there that have seen it. It's like the three-day grapefruit diet. And it was going to be awesome because you would eat certain amounts of food and even had ice cream at the end of the day, uh, but you were going to lose all this weight and you did it every so often. And then there, you know, there was the slim fast and there was the Weight Watchers. Um, mm -hmm. It was just this up and down and up and down and up and down that was in my head. And it was just so miserable. It was so miserable. But then there were times where I just wouldn't even, I pulled myself away from it. I went to, I went to high school mm -hmm. um, about 30 minutes away. And so I think that that was part of my escape is I would just involve myself into so much in high school that I was never home. Um, I ended up quitting dance when I was about 17. Mm -hmm. And I just pretty much like threw myself into life down there and kind of pulled away from what, I was around. And that's something I really honestly, like, I'm just thinking about now. Um, you, I feel like you suppress a lot of things that you just, that didn't have a positive impact on your life. No, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right with that. And I just want to tell people who are listening to the show right now is I'm going to be referencing this amazing blog that Katie wrote, and I will have that in the show notes for people to take a look back on her journey a little bit. But I want to ask you a few questions about that. You did talk about Early on, you did dance six days a week, so a lot of your food was fast food. It was a lot of drive-through. That was convenience for you and stuff like that. And one of the things that you wrote about is that you felt like mentally that I had earned it. I could, I could eat this because I'm dancing six days a week. Did you use that as like a coping mechanism for you and your family at that time for eating poorly? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's something that helps me now. Um, when I talk to people about food is that, you know, like I'm not – 
that shouldn't have been the way that I was thinking. That shouldn't have been my reward, but it wasn't like, I didn't come up with that. That came from my parents, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's okay. You just did all this and everything was a celebration competition. It was, let's go out and get ice cream and celebrate. And, oh, we're going away. Let's like buy all this candy and have it hanging out to get, have the energy to get through. And mm-hmm. so you, you get surrounded by, um, those poor habits and poor reasons. And I wasn't, mentally strong enough to say that's not normal that's not right that was kind of that was the acceptable thing was i yeah no absolutely that was your normal then and i would like to say to anybody who's listening we're not saying that if you're feeling that and that was your coping mechanism that you're wrong that doesn't mean you're bad or that you did anything wrong it's just that's where you're at where you're at right now or that's where you were and that's okay yeah um you were talking about your mom and you participating in the yo-yo diets and So what was it like seeing your mom doing those diets? And did you think that, okay, this is my mom. Obviously, she's right. She's my mom. So it's this has got to be normal. This has to work. Yeah, you you just, you trust that that person that's your parent or a loved one is going to lead you in the right direction. Um, And I had... And I had poor self body image. So I was like, yeah, I want to lose five or 10 pounds. And um, I shouldn't be giving, I shouldn't be looking this way or I shouldn't be feeling this way. And I'm going to do this. And then, you, you know, you're, you're off and you're like, oh man, I lost five pounds. And then you gain it all back. And then you get angry at yourself and then you go deeper and you gain a little more. And you're like, crap, I got to go back. I got to mm-hmm. lose all this weight again. Um, that restriction and, you know, we're Catholic. So when Lent would come around, it would be like, cut out all the bad stuff. <laughs> don't have that and you feel so deprived. I think that's why I don't give anything up now for Lent because it was such <laughs> bad. Um, such a, everything was such a negative experience for me. Did you have a lot of like guilt and shame associated with that? Like you'd lose some weight, then you'd gain it back and you think, why, why is this me? Were you feeling shame from that? I did internally or I would, um, I would associate it with that's not, that's why I can't, you know, do this move and dance, you know, I can't jump high enough or my splits aren't good enough or I'm not fast turning, mm-hmm. um, whatever it was, or I'm not getting my flips right. I'm not getting it high enough off the ground in gymnastics because of that, that excess weight, which is not the case. You know, you're strong. You can be muscularly strong and be heavier. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wasn't, I wasn't there. It was just, it was always a negative connotation and a punishment. And I just, I beat myself up for it a lot. So you said that you, at this point, you were at high school 30 minutes away, so you kind of poured yourself into being away from your mom, being away from that situation, and just being into the high school thing, correct? Yes. So during that time, were you gaining weight into high school? What was that like for you, that your body image and your body weight at that point? Looking back at pictures, I don't think that I gained an excess amount of weight. Like if somebody looked at me, they wouldn't say that I was fat. Um, they definitely wouldn't say that I was on the thinner side either. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got puberty and change, life changes and all that stuff happening. Right. Um, but in my eyes, I wasn't with the pretty, skinny, cute, blonde, you know, peppy girls. I was just kind of that average. I know that I, I should, I wanted to look better, um, but there were always that those ups, those ups and downs, and I would have. I think, you know, early on in high school, um, I would have moments where I would have those days where I, like, I wouldn't eat, and then I would just, like, eat so much, and then not eat, and then eat so much, and that cycle starts. 
Because, you know, I, mean, I don't know. I would mm -hmm. Google, like, how to lose weight. And there's a million and one <laughs> answers out there. Yeah. 9.9% of them are not the healthy way to do it. Absolutely. So what would you say if we would stop right now in the podcast and stop your story? What would you say to girls who are in high school? If you're thinking back to what that felt like, comparing yourself to others, not really loving yourself at all, what bit of advice could you give to someone who's in that boat right now? Love yourself more than God loves you. Wow. That is a, I thought I had maybe stumped you on a question, and then you come back with this answer where I'm like, my mouth's wide open. That is a hashtag that we need to put out for the show. That should be on a T-shirt. Hashtag, um, yeah. I mean, um, there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, there's, it all starts with yourself, and so I'm, I'm a big advocate for if you don't love yourself and take care of yourself, you can't pour into others. There's only one person, you know, your, your parents love you and your spouse loves you and your mm -hmm. children love you, um, but you've got to love yourself first. As my, you know, God loves us no matter what we do, and so you've got to love yourself and forgive yourself for all of the wrong choices, the poor choices, the... Um, and to not, and to kind of put blinders on and be like, you know, I've got to love myself to treat myself with the utmost respect. I think that's a great answer. And I think it, I think, cause I have a son who's in high school and often we talk about things for his future and stuff. And I think as parents, we can see a future for them. And it's hard, I think when they're in it. And I remember being in high school to see a future for yourself um, beyond what's going on, the everyday craziness. So I think it's perfect. I think it's a great answer. Love yourself more than God loves you and give yourself a little bit of grace to see that future for yourself, that things are going to get better and you're going to have more beyond these walls of high school. Um, I wanted to see how your story progressed. So after high school, you go on to college. What was that like? So after high school, I go on to college and I, and I get farther away. So I knew I wanted to go to a private college, um, not, you know, driving distance. I ended up in Cleveland. At John Carroll, um, I ended up on a dance team again, and here we are. Like now, we're into dancing in front of people, um, my peers, like college football. Mm -hmm. You know, that I don't even know how to describe that mindset. Um, I think there are people that are out there. You relate. You're trying to find yourself and find who your people are and who your friends are. And here we are on this dance team wearing like crop tops and everybody's off looking awesome and I feel gross. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be on here. I shouldn't be doing this. I don't look the right way. And so comes on the um, the up and down again. And I can look at pictures from my freshman to my senior year um, of college and like the the way I looked changed so much, right? Like you had like the freshman fifteen, and then my sophomore year I was really skinny, and then my junior and senior year I kind of progressed to my highest um, weight. Which, by the way, I don't even know what I weighed. I just know that I, it was not okay. Um, I'm looking at pictures, and a lot of people don't know that about me. I think people meet me now and they're like, "Oh, she's just like the fit person, right. less to be skinny, and that's just who she is, and she's always going to be that way." It's just not the case no. at all. Yeah. So talk about, we always hear people joke about the freshman 15 and gaining the 20 pounds and stuff like that. What was that like for you mentally gaining that weight and you're being on the dance team? And like you said, you're wearing crop tops, you're out there in front of people and your peers trying to find your life and stuff. What was that like gaining that weight? What did that feel to you mentally? Um, it, it was that, um, 
shame and disgust. And again, like I earned it. We practice. We're doing all these things. And mm-hmm. I was not the I was not the gym goer. But there were other girls on the dance team that were, and I would I would dabble, and I'm like, let me go try this treadmill thing or this elliptical thing mm-hmm. and try this. Um, but then I would just go back and be like, oh, you just worked out. Like, you got to go get that ice cream and that free pizza <laughs> and that cereal. And, you know, you love this stuff. Oh, like, bring on the bagels and um, salad bar. Like, who does that salad bar stuff, right? That was, it was all carb city and um, guilt. And then, you know, the party and the hangover and the right. You, are, you know, you're drinking and experimenting in college and um, you're just careless. You're careless. Right. Well, I think it's interesting. I was reading your blog, and I'm like I said, I'm going to post this for people to see. Is that when you said you when you got to college, you were just different different roommates, so there was various lifestyles that you were around, you know, with different people dieting, some people working out, like you just referenced. Um, and then you talked about that you would see yourself going to extremes, and I want to talk about a little bit of that. What kind of extremes were you starting to go towards? Um. So when I moved into a house, my my junior year. Um, I would go to the extremes of only, like, exclusively only eating one food. Like, one type of food, like I ate rice all day. Those are my meals. Or I would just eat fruit, or I would just eat protein, or just drink a shake. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hard. One of my roommates was, like, the Barbie. Like, she was the perfect, and she would just, like, eat whatever she wanted. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh. Like, okay, if she's this thing, like, maybe I should just eat what she's eating. And then my other man, like, maybe I should just do what she's doing. Maybe I should do. And I never took care of myself. I was always trying to be somebody else. And I had no idea who I was. Right. Or what I wanted to be, for that matter. But I, I knew that I didn't want to be what I was. Mm-hmm. The way you were feeling, what you, what you looked like, what you saw yourself in the mirror. You didn't want to be that anymore. No, I didn't. I wanted to, I wanted to wear the cute coat clothes that I thought were cute, and I wanted to feel pretty and feel that like, Oh, like I'm going to be attractive when I go out with my friends to a party, not let me try and put on something and cover everything up and be ashamed of myself. Mm-hmm. So during that time frame, you said you started to write down everything that you were eating, like every single thing. And then if you didn't cook it, you wouldn't eat it. Mm-hmm. So what was that like living like yeah. that? So that, ha- that was a little bit after college. And I feel like that all happened so fast. So okay. Um, one of my friends had bought me, she knew I was trying to get healthy. And so she had bought me a food journal. She's like, this is awesome. Like you might really enjoy this. Well, I did to the extreme point. Like I didn't use it in a healthy way. It became an obsession. Um, and I got myself one of those fitness watches, you know, heart rate monitor. And Mm -hmm. so everything became obsessive about numbers and I, you know, Googled like calorie intake to lose weight and I started getting really low with calories and I would say, okay, if I hit, let's say I needed to hit a thousand calories on my polar watch, wow. I was not allowed to eat and I would say, if I, like I was not allowed, I would not let myself go over a thousand calories or 1200 calories a day. So there's, I was negating everything. Mm-hmm. Now those watches aren't completely accurate, but in my head at that time, that's what it was. So it was what? like what I burnt, like the calories I burned, that was all I was allowed to consume. So it was negated. So during that time, were you losing weight rapidly because of that 
really strict, obsessive um, food intake? I did. I did. And it, you know, the, the fitness journey started slowly. I had three pound weights in my hands and walked and I about died because exercising was not mm-hmm. something that I had done. Like dance is, is one form of exercise, but when you go and do something else that's out of your element, it's hard. I think, you know, like if you're a runner and then you jump in a pool and you try to swim, it's hard. It's mm-hmm. a, you're using your body in a totally different way. And so I started walking and then I was like, I'm going to join the gym and I'm going to just do cardio. And then I was, I started to lose weight and I started to feel good. People started to notice and they started to compliment me. And so I thrived off that and I was like, okay, this is what, this is what I should look like. People are noticing me and mm-hmm. finally commenting, you know, my early twenties then I just got to keep doing what I'm doing to get all the compliments because that's what lifted me up because I was never, I was never used to that yet in my head. That's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So you losing the weight and then you start getting the attention of people and people ask, of course that makes you feel great. So that started equal validation in your head. That was your value based upon what other people were seeing you as. Right. Yep. Wow. Is so sad and I don't ever want my children to ever feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know that there are so many people out there that you don't feel validated or seen or important or that what you're doing has any worth until somebody pats you on the back and is like, man, you look great, or wow, what are you doing? And gives, gives mm-hmm. you that, like, you're in existence. No, and I think you're 100% either being with an eating disorder or with anything going through. People want to be validated and it makes you feel good. And it's so hard not to place our value in other people's hands. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they stop saying those things and those pats on the back go away, then our value and self-image really goes down the crapper, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, we want to tell you today that you have value. You have value no matter what you're going through, right? right. And so stay with it. You're important. You are very important. So let me ask you, during this time that you're losing this weight and you're really restricting everything, what was going on inside of your body? like physically oh okay yeah so physically I started to go downhill um and I you know I was getting really skinny and I couldn't regulate my body temperature I would be 90 degrees outside you know on a hot summer day and I'm in leggings and a sweatshirt shivering and people would be like aren't you hot you know why aren't you sweating and I'd be like oh you know I'm just I'm just not warm enough yet, or I need to go sit in the sun or whatever. And um, I was sleeping poorly, nails, hair, you name the the outward signs that you're like, something is not right. And I went to the doctor, and they had ran all kinds of blood tests, and mm-hmm. um, I never wanted to correlate it with my restrictive eating. Um, because I want, I, let me backtrack a little bit. I didn't want people to know what I was doing. So I exercised, and I made sure that when I was around people, I was eating. Um, and so they would see me eat these big meals at lunch because I was a teacher, or you know, they'd mm-hmm. see me eat dinner. But there were I had a lot of limitations as to what was going in, so nothing was really sticking because I was exercising so much. Um, and so I'd gone to doctors, and they'd done all the blood tests, and I had lost my, my menstrual cycle, and I put myself into um, – amenorrhea so like exercise induced amenorrhea so can you describe what can you describe what that is yeah so you oh you exercise so much that you lose your cycle so you don't i don't have high enough body fat 
for my body to produce a menstrual cycle. And at that time, to me, I was like, all right, whatever. Like, as a female, I think I don't have to deal with that kind of stuff. Then in a couple months, I don't have to deal with that. Um, that's really bad, right? That's your body showing signs of um, shutting down. It's not working properly. And in your mid-20s, I wasn't. Um, I was in a relationship, but I wasn't in the point of thinking about marriage or kids or anything and that mm-hmm. negative impact that would have. And so, you know, I saw several doctors and she had just said it was, um, she gave me the amenorrhea and just, you know, gave me advice. And I was like, forget this. Like, I'm never coming back to you, lady. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I'm finally, I finally in my, in my head, mm-hmm. I was what I wanted myself to look like I was finally skinny and I, I wanted I had I had goals right like ridiculous goals that um at one point I will talk to my daughters about like I'm not defined by a number on a scale and I'm not defined by the clothes like the clothes size that I wear because I felt like utter crap um but I just kept going because I wanted to have a certain, I wanted people to see me in a certain way and I wanted to be skinny. Like that is the word. And I, I don't use that word. I hate that word. I can't stand it. Like I don't want to be skinny at all. I don't want my daughters to think about that. Um, what, what, what word would you replace skinny with? I agree. I don't think skinny is a great word at all. What, what word would you input instead of skinny? Strong, strong. And I always talk to my daughters about that. Like, you know, eat your, this, this is why we eat healthy because we want to be strong. We want to run fast. We want to, um, right. you know, we want to be able to do cool, hard things. Ride your bike really far. And um, at that, you know, in, in my eyes, that's not, like, it was it was skinny because in years past, to me, to myself, I was fat and I was overweight and I was disgusting. Mm-hmm. And I finally, to myself, I had unlocked this code, right? It's like I figured out the secret. I'm not yo-yo dieting anymore. I'm just going to stay here in this life of deprivation, um, which really sucked because then you start to lose friends and you start to lose loved ones and people start to, to finally say, you know, I remember getting into a huge fight with my best friend. Um, she called me out on it. She's like, you have a problem. Um, the guy that I was dating at the time said that I, you know, he's like, I've called anorexic hotlines. I need to help you. I don't know what to do. Um, he went to my parents and my parents had saw me and saw me, they had seen me, you know, when your mom's like, I see your vertebrae, mm-hmm. this is, you're sick. And you hear it from enough people. You're like, maybe. Well, then I was like that strong little person. I was like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah no, you're re- you reason with yourself that all these people are wrong. I know what's right for me and my body. I see I'm making progress. You know, you're feeling that you, in your words, you're feeling skinny and you're getting attention and things like that. But you brought up a couple of things that I wanted to talk about um, with other people and stuff. First of all, you talked about that you had all the signs of an eating disorder. Um, you talked about hair and nails. Can you maybe list a couple of the signs for people? Because right now it's not always about the person who's going through the thing. It's all the people around them and sometimes they don't always see the stuff or they're not watching for the things. What kind of things could they see or look for? You've got brittle nails. You've got hair that's falling out, thinning hair. Um, Sometimes you can see um, veins. You can see a change in their face, dark circles sunken in. Um, Outwardly, you know, if you see them in a a bathing suit, you may see their vertebrae. Um, Their hip bones, they start to just kind of, 
almost, I want to say like wilt, like you start to just fall inward to yourself because mm -hmm. you're slowly killing yourself. Now that is, I mean, that's hard stuff to hear. I mean, it is. and I can't imagine how easy for is for you to relay that now. I can see you in your face because no one else can see you, but I see you like reliving it and thinking it over in your head. And what people, and I say this a lot with our interviews, and I'm going to continue to say it, I appreciate your strength of you sitting here and telling this story because there are so many people who are going through this same thing and they feel so alone. They don't feel they have value. They think they look fat and you just keep on filling in the blank with some more things. But you sitting here and telling your story, even though it hurts, even though it's, it was dark, it's really going to help people on the other side. And I really appreciate that you doing that today. So thank you so much. I hope so. And I'll say it doesn't happen overnight. And it's not, it's not been something easy to talk about for a long time because it was something I then to go through this period of being really ashamed mm -hmm. and then not acknowledging it. Um, and even in conversations, my husband will talk to me about it and my mom will still bring it up and we have a really interesting relationship. Um, but my friends will, but I, I know they know, mm -hmm. but they were, they were there with me and they never left me, but they don't ever bring that conversation up. It's not an easy thing to talk about. Well, you know, and I'm glad you asked that because that leads to one of my other questions. And this leads to a lot of the topics I talk about is people not saying anything. People are always afraid to say something. They don't know what to say. They don't know if they should tell somebody else. They don't know what they should do. Do you want to give people right now permission to talk to somebody or not even permission, but what words can they say that it won't be? Because I know you said you felt attacked, that people were saying that you need help and I can see your vertebrae and you're anorexic and I call this hotline. What kind of permission or what kind of language can you give people to say that would help somebody in that situation? Reach out. Reach out. You know you're coming from a loving standpoint. Mm -hmm. and you, know that you love that person so much. So if you love them that much, you will say something. Um, always preface it with, I love you and I'm concerned for you. And I'm doing this because I'm here for you mm -hmm. and I want to help you. Um, they may most likely take it as an attack um, and be prepared for that, but do it because you don't want time to go by and then something worse happens and then you regret that you never said anything at all. And then you'll be more upset with yourself and you'll have to live with that. And so, you know, I thank my friends and I appreciate my friends for calling me out. And that's why they are my friends is because they could say, you're not okay. If there is something seriously wrong, you need help. Mm -hmm. You need to do something. Um, and stubborn myself, you know, I never, I never got help. I never got help. But there were points that I reached that I finally, like the, the light started, like the wheel started to turn. I think that is a great answer. I'm glad that you tell people to preference it with love. I love you. I care for you. I'm coming from this. I'm not here to attack you. And to and to your point to be prepared the person may fight back a little bit but just call them on their bs a little bit we need those friends that said you know i'm here for you good bad or ugly um one thing that you talked about in your blog is that and it comes up a lot the word i saw a lot was control and i thought one of the great quotes and it really stood out to me was that you said that i thought i was in control but it was in control of me what did that mean to you 
any addict or someone recovering from a disease will say that they they thought they had control of everything, but that that disease controls you. Like it just completely takes over, um, and and it becomes your life. Like it swallows you up in a sense that you you now function around that disease. Like everything is based upon, for me, everything was based upon food and weight and what I looked like, but that was that the disease. Like I was not in control. Yes, I was controlling what was going into my mouth, but mm -hmm. the, the disease was, you know, had programmed my brain to think that way. That's a very good point. I'm glad that you preference it with a lot of people who have a lot of addictions, that the addiction controls you and your addiction was you trying to control your food in your atmosphere and things around you going on. Um, another thing I'm going to reference in our conversation is I told you about her. Katie had an amazing blog, but she also did this very vulnerable video. She did this video for other people to show her story a little bit. And I am going to post a link to that in our show notes too, so people can see it. There was a couple of things that I saw in your video that I think were very big takeaways. It's kind of like the, you had two different Katie's like you had your one that you were, hiding and then you had the one like you were on stage kind of because you said I ate I smiled I was social that you were good at faking it what was that like for you to feel like you had two different people one kind of like the outward appearance and then the one hidden away um I don't know how to explain it so I, I didn't want anybody to know what I was doing and it was exhausting Right, so you, I put on this front of like, no one's going to know they're going to see me as loving and social and happy and outgoing and all these things, but really I just wanted to hide. I just wanted to be at home and controlling everything because when I didn't have that control over everything, like there was anxiety and all of those other emotions that come up mm -hmm. that you don't um, want to deal with. And it, it was hard. Like I didn't want people to know that I was controlling everything and that I was so obsessed with how I looked and what I went through. But in reality, there were a lot of people that knew. Like I wasn't fooling my really close friends. Right. And I had a couple friends that say like that worked out with me at the gym. Like, God, I never knew. Um, I never knew. I wish I would have said something. I never knew. And that, I'm looking back and like, you should have known. Like you saw like skin and bones mm -hmm. in the gym, like hours on an elliptical machine or we would go for a five mile run and then I'd come into the gym and I'd do like 30 more minutes on the elliptical and then I'd try to lift weights but I was so skinny like lifting weights was just not that it wasn't even gonna happen it wasn't impossible well I mean at, at this point you talked about in your video that you kind of felt damaged physically and emotionally getting to that point and you also talked about uh, binging and purging and I talked to you before our recording here and asking if you were okay just speaking about this. And I know um, whenever I would hear that term before, I would think, okay, that's kind of gross. And like, why would anyone want to, why would anyone feel like that? What was it to the first time that that happened that you thought this is the answer to my problems? I, I can, I can remember it like scarily that vision. I can see my bathroom in my condo that I lived in by myself. Mm -hmm. And um, I had eaten dinner, what I planned for myself, and then I just ate an entire box of cereal. Like, brand new, opened the box, 
whole way. So for somebody that doesn't know binging, you just eat until the point where you can't eat anymore and in a very unhealthy manner. And so I eaten a whole box of cereal um, and immediately I was like, I just undid all this hard work. And there was that talk of my, to myself of, why would you do this? How could you do this to yourself? You just worked so hard, you just undid this, go throw it up. Just get rid of it and it won't matter. And so I walked myself into the bathroom and I had to talk myself through it and I just sat there and I stared into the toilet and I proceeded to make myself throw up until I felt like there was not one more piece of cereal in my body. And I, then I was like, well, that was kind of cool. So I could eat and just throw it back up and like I could eat whatever tastes really good and then I'll just get rid of it. And so I had moved myself into that, which is just is horrible, horrible. Well, I mean, yes, I know you know now it's horrible, but then that was just your normal. That was your reality. That was your mind state. And how long did that continue? The whole cycle of, um, of anorexia and bulimia was about two and a half years. And I would go days where it was just control food, right? And, and so I want people to understand. So for me, I didn't not eat. Right, like I wouldn't just starve myself. I would eat meals, but I exercised more than what I was taking in, so it just it didn't matter. So I would go a couple days and just like really be controlling a food, and then the weekend would come, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just want to eat, I don't know, like ice cream or cereal was my thing, um, or mm -hmm. any any like I would just overeat dinner, um, and then I would just walk into the bathroom and be like, you got this, you can just get rid of it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And I would have that conversation with myself. It will be fine. This is okay. You're doing this is okay. Because this keeps you skinny. And just keep doing it. And you'll be okay. Because there was no meat happy medium for me, right? There was no... Right. I didn't know what balance was at that point. So at, so at this point, you're, would you say you feel kind of like you've hit your all-time low at this point, do you feel like? At that point, I was so I was teaching school, mm -hmm. and I had not ever thought about myself as a role model and what I must have looked like mm -hmm. in front of these kids um, who are now just graduating high school and going into college. Um, so, I, like, my care and concern for them is just like, oh my gosh, like I was their kindergarten and first grade teacher. What I was messages I was sending. Mm -hmm. um, and I would, go, I would go shopping, and at that time, you know, like, poor, just out of college, brand new, shopping at Kohl's, and nothing fits me. Nothing fits me, except for the kids' clothes. In the kids' department, and I wore a little kid's, like, size 14. So if anybody out there has a child that wears a size 14, which in the kids' section, so not the juniors, right? The, below that, the kids'. That's what size I had to wear. And so imagine trying to find adult-ish looking clothes. Right. Size clothes. What did that do for you mentally when you knew, like, I can't even fit into adult clothes. I'm supposed to be in a, an adult, a role model, and I'm shopping in the same kids' clothes that maybe some of the kids, the brothers or sisters who are going to my classes are in. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, it just, it's, it starts a depression and uh, sadness 
And again, like it's come up a couple times, you're ashamed. You become really ashamed of now, what have I done to myself? And so then, then you feel kind of stuck. Um, and it, you know, at that time that had gone on for a few months and this kind of bring, like living at that condo, I was dating someone, we had parted ways um, and I had met my husband who he'll tell you to this day that he never saw me sick. Now he saw me in my lowest point, mm-hmm. but he did not see that. And for me, my lowest point was one night I had, I was obsessed with the scale, so I would weigh myself multiple times mm-hmm. a day. <clears throat> and I hit 99 pounds. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, I'm in double digits. This is awesome. And then when I had that those shopping episodes and I was still like 99, 98, 99 pounds, I was like, this is not normal. This is not normal. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 24, 25 years old. I should be, I should weigh a lot more than this. Why do you think it just hits you at that point? Was there, I mean, was it just a moment in your head where you thought, or you just, you felt like I have nowhere else to go and that's what made you trigger it to your, in yourself or what happened? Yeah, it was, it was like a, a come to Jesus, like epiphany moment that just happened. I mean, if you think about all the people that had said stuff to me, Mm-hmm. Um, and I had broken up with someone who was a great friend through college. Um, we had dated and everything. Um, and then my husband, my now husband, had come into the picture. Um, and I don't know, I can't really even say like what he did or how he had talked to me, but slowly I had just started to shift into like a new sense of happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and acceptance and love and appreciation and slowly I got healthy. Um, I think it when we had first started dating though um, there was a point where I had I had gone back to the doctor because um, I wanted to, to get healthy again and I, I knew like I love someone I'm gonna I want to get married we're gonna want to have children right still hadn't had a cycle and she basically just said like you haven't had a period for a year or more you're never having kids and that knowing in my heart that I've always wanted to be a mother right was like the one thing that I was like okay I want children and I'm going to figure out how to make this possible um if that mean you know that meant letting go of all of these terrible things I've done to my body and figuring out how to get healthy mm-hmm well, you said in your video, and it really stood out to me, and you kind of just talked about it. You said you met John, and he saw beyond all your problems, and you put in all caps, he accepted me. And so what, what was it like for you to be wanted slash accepted by someone when you couldn't even accept yourself at that point? What was that like? Was that like, uh, like finally, I, just, I feel good again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, so this is what people talk about when they when they find love or someone that loves them unconditionally like that was an unconditional love right because i'm Mm -hmm. disgusting i'm 99 pounds Uh, i look terrible i looked like death i mean you could see the bones in my arms um you could see my hip bone you could see everything like i was a walking skeleton for my height i'm five five four Mm -hmm. and 
I was like, he loves me and he cared about me and he had just shown me what apparently I was missing. And without him even knowing or trying, um, he always say that I saved him, but I think that it was the other way around. I think you guys, you may have saved each other. Saved each other. <laughs> Your love story. Yeah. Um, you, I think that it's awesome. And I, it, we can't be understated that someone can really come into your life and God's going to put them there at the right time to help you, love you, and help you accept yourself because he's gonna, they're going to love you unconditionally like God loves us unconditionally no matter what we're going through, no matter how disgusting we look on the inside or how we feel. There's still that love and that grace for us out there. And I think that's so great that he was able to come into your life at that moment. And like you said, you guys saved each other or however that worked out. But I, I think that's such an important part of their story. And your next part I wanted to talk about, and it kind of made me smile or laugh a little bit. You talked about you started putting on happy weight. So putting on happy weight, what does that mean? It's so funny. No one, no one normally says, hey, I'm putting on happy weight. So what did, what did happy weight mean to you? So, yeah, happy weight was um, – you know, we had dated for four months, and he proposed, and it was this process of getting healthy, um, and I, you know, I'd asked for help, and he was into the gym and exercising, but he knew the healthy side of everything, and um, there was happiness. There was, like, let's go out on dates, and let's eat this, and it's okay. Like, you're not going to get fat. It's moderation, and um, just those slow conversations. So now I was going out and eating things that I would never have ever like put a fork, like a dip in of, of um, food. And it was because he, he loved me for me, like the inside, like the me, not the outward me. It was the inside. It's funny because we had a conversation the other night um, and he's like, I, I love you. Like, not you. He's like, yes, I love you for what you look like. That's awesome. And, like, bonus for me. But I love you for who you are. Mm -hmm. Well, it's good about having some people in our life like that because um, even if we're not in a really bad place, we all see each other in a different lens. And then we have somebody else who comes in and they're like, hey, let me switch that lens out. And they see you for who you really are on the inside. And it's good to know that you're not judged just by the way we think of ourselves because if that was the case, our lives would not be that great all the time because we all take that time in our day to put ourselves down or say we don't like this or that or the other about ourselves. So it's awesome that you had John, your husband there to give you that love, see you in that different lens. What a cool feeling for you. So you talked about being at the doctor. They said you cannot have any children. You cannot have any babies. And I know from talking to you that you are very defiant. So I'm sure you said, I'm going to find any way I can to make this happen. So what was next? What did that look like? Next was, well, gaining weight um, and just developing a healthy relationship. So I can't go back to, like, the opposite extreme, right? I can't just stop working out completely and just eat and binge because that's unhealthy too. So I had to take baby steps of slowly releasing control of what I was eating and not be so restrictive and dial down so I was working out two to three times a day so once once a day is enough it's more than enough um, if you're working out appropriately and so by balancing both ends of food and exercise um, and emotional love too right there was um, you can be so stressed out that you don't eat or you um, you stress yourself either to the one extreme of weight or the other, and I was in a demanding 
um, school district and I had put high demands on myself and so I started to release that stress too and not be so engrossed in, in everything um, and built that relationship with John and you know we got married and I, I was a great healthy weight when we got married um, and we wanted kids like I wanted kids and so we just focused on whatever you know starting to eat a little bit healthier um, great. We're, we're definitely healthier now than we were back then, but to me, like, that healthy was healthier than it was before. So it's been, you know, a slow progression of stages where if I look back at the college, I eat everything, like, crap, and then I go to eating nothing, like, no fat, no carbs, like, super, super lean to then slowly having that balance of having the treats, um, but still eating healthy, that mix, that mix. And so it's, it's been, it's all, it's always a work in progress. No, that's, uh, I think you're telling the story really well about what you need to start to do to get that balance back. You're working out three times a day, go back just to one a day. It's okay. It's like you, you always smiled like one time a day is okay. You don't need to work out three times a day. So after you started putting on your happy weight and getting a little better emotionally, physically, where did that leave you as far as getting children, having a family? Um, so after John and I got married, like immediately was like, let's let's have kids. So naively, like this is like it's just gonna happen, right? You're like, I think I'm gonna have kids, so let's go have kids, and it doesn't work out that way, and so. Um, we kind of knew it would be a struggle at first considering that it's not had a cycle. Right. Um, and it took us about two years before we got pregnant with our first and doctor's visits, um, fertility specialists I had gotten, um, where they put the dye through your fallopian tubes to make sure there were no blockages. John had gone and done all that, like awesome testing that every guy loves to go. <laughs> <laughs> any guy out there is probably laughing like that is a feasible experience, but at, you know, at one point, and it makes the marriage hard sometimes when you're trying to calculate everything that's all on God's timing and you're trying, again, to control that. Um, and we, I remember having a conversation, it was two years, and we were like, forget it. We're not going to have kids. Let's just go travel the world and, you know, blow our, not blow our money, but spend our money on just living life. And within we had like a whirlwind like a fun weekend there was a fireman celebration um and we had tried some fertility medication and and then we got pregnant and we were like holy crap that's like, awesome when you let go and release the control which is something that i have a problem with um and god's timing it all works and so we got pregnant and we were elated like over the moon like oh my gosh we can't believe that this is happening. Um, we had our son, and then when he was about, oh gosh, just a little over a year, we got pregnant again. And then I was like, holy crap, like that just happened. We weren't playing, we weren't. <laughs> I have the video, my husband was like, I, like is this really happening? <laughs> it's not happening, but it was happening. And so, um, you know, God is good whenever you give him the control. It's funny, um, there's a big pastor, I think he's one of the biggest churches in the country, his name's Craig Rochelle, I don't know if you're familiar with him, he's big in leadership, and one of his biggest quotes is, 
he talks about in business and with relationship with the Lord and with your marriage is that you can have control or you can have growth, but you can't have both at the same time. And um, that always was like a gut check to me because I like to have control. You know, I own some businesses and, you know, and then anytime I think about that, I like pray about it. I'm like, all right, I need to give up some control. And anytime I've ever done that, I've always had bigger growth either, you know, in our marriage or spiritually or whatever. So I think it's really important. Give up that control to God and be ready for that growth to come. Because when you do, he's waiting. He's just right there waiting. I'm like, come on, I'm waiting for you to step into these blessings. Let go a little bit. I think that's awesome that you said that. And then in your video, um, I love that you had your that scripture that you prayed from First Samuel one twenty seven that says, I prayed for this child and the glory and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. And it was such a I mean, I, you see a lot of scriptures and stuff that really hit me when I was looking at your story and watching that stuff that you had finally kind of let go of that control and prayed and asked for God for that blessing, and then you had that child. What a cool feeling that must have been for you. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, there's good control, right? Like you control the controllable things. There are things that it's healthy to mm-hmm. be capable of. And, and now I, want, I, I like to think more of not even um, – control which is like being a good steward so like being Mm -hmm. a good steward of your money being a good steward of your time um of the way that you um the way you're going about doing things and but make sure that it's in a healthy manner like if i'm trying to control something that's totally out of my circle of influence i'm just going to drive myself crazy and then god's not going to let what i'm trying to control happen i've got i have to give it to him and it's funny so my um Mm-hmm. Our children are all named um, biblically, and we had named my son that morning. We had like a hard, you know, I wasn't going into labor, and um, we're I'm Catholic, and John proceeded to become Catholic um, before we had gotten married. Mm-hmm. So let go of um, his non-denominational faith and kind of being rigid against the church, and he let go and you know said, you know, I want to join the church. And we had found out we were pregnant after he um, got converted in the church, which was really cool. Yes. We had named our son um, Micah um, after we had read scripture that morning. We just like flipped open like that Bible verse, and the Bible verses from Micah. We're like, oh, that, that's, that's it. Oh, I love that name, Micah. Yeah. So now that you, you know, you're having babies, you're getting healthier, um, your life's starting to shift now into a more healthier life. And I read that you were, you're now committed to finding balance, self-acceptance, love for yourself again, and you want to do this for other women. So what does that look like in your life at this point? You know, you're getting healthier, and you want to have this and kind of pay it forward attitude. So now, after going through what I've gone through, I don't, I know there are people out there going through it, but if there's somebody that I can help stop before they go too deep. Um, or I can help someone that's a young child, like a young woman. My child, my daughters, for example, help shape them so that they don't experience that. That is my, that's my goal, right, is to just educate women on self-love and self-care and um, making choices, not because you're coming from a deprivation standpoint or you're dis- you dislike yourself, but you're doing it because you love yourself. Mm-hmm. And making sure, like helping women um, and then to come from that place of self-love and that you are worthy of, of being good to your body and treating your body well and yourself mentally and physically and spiritually. All three, all tied together. And yeah, it is all tied together. Yeah. 
You put, and I thought this was really big, and I want to ask you what that really means to you. You said that every time that you help women, they are actually helping you. And I thought that really stood out. What does that mean to you? What is, what is that feeling like? So when I when I help someone, and they, you know, they're like, oh, thank you, you know, thank you for helping me get to that spot. It's like, no, thank you for keeping me on my path because I want to be a role model. I want to be the right role model, mm-hmm. and so by you saying that I helped you helps me like say, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be, and these choices I'm making do matter. And I'm not doing it out of being selfish. I'm doing it out of care and concern for others. Um, and so I think if I, if there wasn't someone out there, if it was just one person that I can impact, that I feel that there are times that I may, I could go back the other way. If anybody knows anything about addiction, mm-hmm. you're never 100% quote unquote cured. Because you can, I can remember, I can recall, I know, I know what I did. Right. I, I know I could easily snap myself back there, but there's better things out there. There's bigger things out there. And there's people out there that depend on that, that positive, um, you know, me making those choices. And I don't want to ever go back to being that person. It's miserable. So what are you doing now on a daily basis? And I already know, spoiler alert, but I want you to tell everybody, what are you doing now on a daily basis that you get to pour into other people? get to show love to men and women and really see them meet their full potential. So um, about three and a half years ago, I got into coaching, health and fitness coaching with Beachbody. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allowed me to start pouring into other women, help me hold myself accountable and to pay it forward. And slowly, it sounds really selfish and really greedy, but I, I wanted more and I needed more. Coming from a dance background and being surrounded by people, mm-hmm. I needed to be around people. I needed to see them in person to know, to be able to like extend that reach beyond just like hoping that what we're conversing about behind the screen is, is really going on. Um, and last, last winter I approached my husband, I was like, I think, I'm going to do this personal training thing. I've always wanted to do it, but either financially we weren't there or I was pregnant or we were in limbo of a move. Mm-hmm. And now I, um, I'm a personal trainer or partner trainer with Camp Gladiator, which is um, an outdoor fitness boot camp that is across the country and we're growing and um, it allows me to see over a hundred you know, of people on a weekly basis and talk to them about strength and honoring their body and whether you're faith-based or not, like giving that glory to the Lord or just mm-hmm. loving yourself enough to to wake up every day and be thankful and blessed that your feet hit the floor and to do something. Like you don't have to be an ultra athlete. You don't have to be, you know, lifting heavy weights and running the fastest mile. You have to show up. And that's like, that's one of our, our, quotes across our company is start by showing up, show up for yourself. Mm-hmm. No one else is going to do it for you. Right. Um, since we both are, are in the workout background and stuff, you know who Shanti is. He's the creator yes. of insanity. Um, yeah. I, I just got his book for Christmas and one of his quotes and I use this people, whoever listens to this have been to my classes. I talk about this all the time and it was just on the cover of the book and it, I already used it a thousand times. He said, it's not about being perfect. It's just about being present. Just to your point of just showing up, just be present. You don't have to be perfect. Perfection's never going to come. You're never going to achieve it. But if you show up, you're going to win every single day. 
And I, I think that's awesome. What, what do you see in people who come to your Camp Gladiator and you train with them and you see in them what you saw in yourself before where they don't have a lot of hope, they don't have a lot of confidence yet, but you get to see them achieve something. What is that like for you? For me, it is so fulfilling. Like next to being a mom and a wife, like it's going to make me cry. Um, there's never a day that my feet don't hit the floor that I am like I I need to be at camp. Like I need to be there because, and I always tell this to them, I'm like, you guys give me the energy and you guys lift me up. Um, and I, every, every walk of life of people that are afraid or they don't know what to do or how to start, or they don't think that they're good enough. Um, and they compare themselves to somebody else. So I can, you know, talk to them about like, I've been there or I know someone that's been there or, just giving them that pat on the back and saying like you're worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such it's such an amazing feeling, and I don't to see that, that what we have as a camp community and mm-hmm. see how it pours into my family as well. Like to see my kids out there and my kids high fiving and my kids cheering on um, the adults and like mm-hmm. hugging them and loving on them. Um, it's just I can't even put into words like what it does it does for me. Like I finally feel like I found exactly where I need to be. Well, I think there's something to be said for you speaking truth into somebody when they don't see it, and you get to tell them like, look, look, you can do it. Not only can you do it, you're doing it right now. You know, there's a difference of people like, oh, I'm trying. Trying is sitting at home talking about it. Doing it is you're here. You're here doing it. So I think it's amazing that you get to speak truth into people and show them that, listen, love yourself. You can do this. God's there for you. I'm here for you. And we got this amazing community of people here lifting you up. How cool is that? Yeah. And um, I'm thankful. It didn't come easy. Like, I didn't just come into training in this. You know, there's a long road of – I've gone through a lot of things and a lot of different careers, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, and so if somebody out there is unhappy, like don't stop until you really find that when you wake up, you are so passionate that you don't ever want to stop. I think that's awesome. I talk about this in every single podcast. I use the same verbiage and stuff. And it's always about, you know, you going through life and coming through on the other side with some kind of hope and encouragement for others. And I hope for what people are listening to and me listening to it, I'm encouraged by your story. And you've really come through on the other side. You were a person who was so far in deep depression with the way she felt, the way she looked to others, she thought, um, who didn't have hope, who was never going to have babies, who was never going to find love. And now, slowly but surely, when you gave up some of that control to God, now you've come through on the other side. You've had two babies. You have somebody who loves you and sees you for you have three babies? Oh, you didn't tell us about the third baby. Three. Oh yeah, she didn't. She didn't make it on the blog. Or like it's like it's crazy after three. Like it's just constant. <laughs> it's beautiful chaos. Beautiful chaos. See, you've had three babies and you've totally forgot about the third one already. Until you remind me right now. She's the neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> so you have three babies and so many blessings from the Lord. Um, I think that is truly, truly amazing. One thing that really stood out to me at the very end of your video. You were trying to give away for people to connect with you, and you just kind of listed your name and your email. And then in real big, you just said the word survivor. And I was like, that is badass. 
She didn't just leave her phone number or just a call to action. She just put the word survivor. And what did that mean for you, putting that out there, like, I am a survivor? What does that mean? For me, for me I think it's surviving a lot of emotional battery that I've done to myself mm -hmm. um, and physical damage. Like, I survived putting myself through all that. Now, you know, I think about the word survivor. Like, I didn't battle, you know, cancer or I'm not battling something that, I was totally like spun my life around, but anorexia bulimia is a, is a disorder. It's, it's something that you battle with. And for me to say, like I survived that, I, I did it with my husband who unintentionally saved me. Um, I feel, I feel like, yeah, like I came out a better person. I survived my personal hell what I think was my personal hell. And I think everybody has a point where they get to their lowest low. Right. Um, if you don't ever get there, consider yourself so amazingly blessed. Um, and, but yeah, I survived what could have killed me and what could have kept me away from having three children who are amazing blessings from God and um, getting myself to where I am now and that, that mentality now helps me to focus on being strong. Like I care more about that I can lift and that I can run and that my feet hit the floor and mm -hmm. um, gain that type of strong. Like it's not about that body image anymore. Well, you know what? You are a survivor, so you can't, I don't want you to neg negate that just because you didn't have a cancer or something like that. You went through something. You were up in it. You were sitting in that pain every day and dealing with it. And now you have come through on the other side. So be proud of that. Be really proud. You are a survivor. You battled it. And you have your badass finish now. And you're still kicking butt every day. You're a gladiator, right? Gladiator. Yes. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, heck yeah. It's cool. That's amazing. Let me ask you this. Where can people connect with you after this? If they hear your story and they want to reach out and, you know, they don't want to talk to me about it. They want to talk to you. Um, where can they connect with you at? Uh, they can connect with me. So, um, you know, phone, email, Facebook. Um, I think we can put on there, you know, best way to reach me is my um, Camp Gladiator email and Facebook for sure. Um, and to not hesitate. Like I love, I love when people reach out to me and say, hey, I have a loved one that's going, that I think is going through this. Can you help me? What can I say? And to know, I don't know if what they said worked. But for people to have courage to reach out, um, I think is amazing. And, and I love it. Like, I will stay up all night talking to people about health and fitness and making better choices for their body and, um, like, giving glory to the Lord and, like, taking care of yourself is a blessing. Like, it's not a punishment. And I went through that. And it took my best friend, Taylor, um, and what she went through to help me really dig into that blessing, that, that it is a blessing. You know, you don't come to these things on your own. Mm -hmm. um, I would take somebody else to pay it forward, and so I wouldn't be where I am today without my best friend Taylor, who um, is my third Ezra's um, godmother. And so I have to give her a lot of credit, too. And you guys all know Taylor. You've already heard her podcast and her amazing story. And if you haven't heard it, I am not going to spoil it, uh, but it is something that will leave you inspired and um, blown away by the strength. Yes, our, uh, our birth stories are kind of – that's like a separate podcast. I think we should <laughs> – you know what? 
we should do a podcast and bring both of you guys on together, and uh, maybe we will do that, actually. So, you, so you're always giving me more ideas for my business. Thank you, Katie. Um, no, but I really just wanted to thank you so, so much for coming on today. And I said it midway through that you, I get to see these people sit here and talk about it. And I can see it on their faces, reliving the bad things that they went through in the dark places. But I also get to see the smiles and the hope when they talk about where they are at now. And I appreciate your strength. I appreciate you being honest and kind of digging deep into those things to give somebody else hope and encouragement right now who's listening, who really needs that. And uh, you're contribution here today cannot be understated. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. It's, um, it's therapeutic to, to relive that in a, in a sense. So I thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. I am so glad. Well, as Katie, Isaac, everybody, again, we're going to have all her contact information in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to her and talk to her and maybe get some advice from her, you're going to be able to do that. Well, Katie did such an amazing job of being on the podcast today and sharing her story, being brave, going outside that comfort zone of not everybody knowing all your baggage and kind of putting it out there for everybody, knowing that it could help some people. So we couldn't thank her enough for doing that and being brave like that. And while listening to Katie's story, there are so many different takeaways that really happened in her story that made me really think. And one of them that I wanted to touch on here before we wrap up was one of the quotes she said was, I thought I was in control, but it was in control of me. And that made me think about all of us out there listening today or just in everyday life. What is something that we think we're in control of, but really it's controlling us? I mean, you have to really take a second and think about it. You may not have that thought right this second on the podcast while you're listening in your car or you're, while you're walking around your home or whatever you're doing, but I really want you to think about it. And I'm not talking about an eating disorder. It doesn't have to be that. But there are so many of us out there that we think we're in control, but there's really something else controlling us. It could be in your marriage. It could be at work. It could be an addiction. It could be eating disorder. It could be a depression. And the list goes on and on and on. But I really want you to think about that. Am I really in control? Is there something that's holding me back because it's controlling me where I'm not being able to live my best life and to have that freedom? And she said that she was really good at faking it. How many of us out there are good at faking it, right? Everyday life, people see us smiling on the outside, but boy, are we suffering on the inside. And what kind of freedom comes from letting go of faking it and just being your genuine self? And that's not easy because we think, oh, if people really know the real me and some of my problems, no one's going to like me. No one's going to see what I've gone through. They're going to think I'm really weird and I'm stand out. And you go back to faking it again. Take off that mask and be you and see the freedom that comes with that. I was looking at some statistics like I usually do at some of the end of these episodes and it says that currently in the U.S. every year, there are 8 million people, men and women, who suffer from anorexia, bulimia, or a different kind of eating disorder. And that's such a large number. And what I wanted to do is kind of flip that number upside down on itself is that you could think there's 8 million people out there who are suffering from these eating disorders. And you could feel like, I am just one in 8 million people. How is anybody going to help me? How do I matter in all that? 
But I want you to think about that number is there were 8 million people just like you who were struggling, who would think they're in control, but that's really controlling you, and to not feel alone, that there is strength in numbers, not to get lost in the numbers. So I want you to have some hope to feel like I'm not alone. There are other people doing this today. And you can see by Katie, she was one of those 8 million at one point, but now she's in a different number. She's in the number who have come through it on the other side now and are able to come on a podcast like this today and share their story and offer some hope and encouragement for you. So you are not alone in this. You can get help if you accept it from a loving place like Katie talked about from people who will come to you. They will confront you because they love you and they want the best for you. So do not feel alone in this. You can get that help. You can let go of that control, stop faking it, take off that mask, and be the person that God has destined for you to be. We are not here just to suffer, like we've talked about before, but to learn from some of the things we've gone through, to come through on the other side, to share that love, hope, and encouragement for other people. One of the things that KD also spoke about was, I hate the word skinny. I only talk about being strong, and I completely agree with it. Skinny means nothing. Fit does not have a size, as you hear people say. You can be fit in all different ranges of your body mass, and we want people to be strong out there. But a lot of us are addicted to something that's dirty, and it's laying on the floor of our bathroom. It's that scale. So I want you to think to yourself, and I've said this to many people through coaching and different things is one, answer these questions in your head or out loud or wherever you're at. No matter what you do or you look like, will your spouse or family love you? Answer that question. For me, it's a yes. No matter what you do or look like, will your children still love you? The answer is always yes for me at home. So why would you let a piece of plastic or metal that sits on the floor of your dirty bathroom tell you how much you love yourself? Think about it. We do that. We will step on that scale, and whatever that number is says how much we value ourselves, and that's really sad. And I've been there. This is not coming from a point of me pointing fingers. This is pointing fingers right back at myself. I have done it. Weigh myself every day. And whatever that number was, that reflected my mood. That reflected my value. But I got to a point where I knew what I was doing was okay, that I could be okay with it. And I would have to let go of some control and not be so obsessed with that. So again, remember that. No matter what you do, or your parents, your family, your children, will God continue to love you? And the answer should be yes. So why do we let that thing on the floor of the bathroom tell us how much we love ourselves? I want you to let go of that today and remember how much value you have. And remember, just like Katie, you too can be a survivor. And it doesn't have to be from a big cancer or something like that. If you are going through something, you're battling something, you are up in it right now, and you are coming through it on the other side, you are a survivor. If you're not through it yet, you are a survivor in training. Remember that. I can't tell you how much it meant for Katie to be on here today. I really appreciate her showing her love and her caring for other people. And she talked about on here, you know, every time that I help, another woman. It's really them helping me. So reach out to people out there and see how much self-love you get back by helping someone else. You're really stepping up for them and really 
that's coming all back to you and filling your bucket up so you can continue to do that. So many lessons today in the podcast, so many great takeaways. Continue to listen to it over and over again and let it fill your heart, let it fill your mind with the good stuff so you can go out there and make a difference in your life and the people around you. Guys, I want to hear from you. And how can we do that? You can visit unwrittenlifepodcast.com. There's all my contact information there, email. So I can hear you email to me if you want to email me ideas for the show or maybe your story that you want me to read on the show. I'd be happy to do that. Check me out on Facebook and our Facebook group, Unwritten Life Podcast. That was where the conversation is always happening. Things that we're sharing will always be on there, including the show notes from the website about the podcast. And then on Instagram at the Unwritten Life Podcast, we'll be sharing pictures from people on the show. You can see pictures of Katie and her family on there throughout the week. And the bottom line is it's about community. We want to stay connected with you. And we want you to stay connected with the guests from the show for Katie, for Taylor, for Katie, the other Katie and Bonnie and so forth and so on. And the people we've had on this show, so many great people. And uh, we want you to be able to connect with them and make this, like I said, a revolution of hope. That's all we want. So we've come to the end of yet another episode, but this is not the end of your journey, your story at all. Remember, you matter, you can make a difference, and your story is still unwritten.